Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers 4DC. Welcome to The Echo Chamber. I'm joined today by Natalia Popovich, who is CEO of Russian PR firm PRP, but perhaps more importantly is co-founder and board member at the Ukraine Crisis Media Center, an initiative which was set up last year when Russia invaded Ukraine. Natalia, thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you. I wondered um, if we could start by maybe you talking us through a little bit into, into why the, the Ukraine Crisis Media Center was set up a year ago. Um, right in the beginning um, of um, green men appearing in uh, Crimea and uh, Ukraine feeling um, the potential aggression from the Russian Federation, um, myself and my colleagues felt um, that we wanted to help Ukraine amplify its voice in the international arena. It was the time just uh, after the completion of the Revolution of Dignity and a new Ukrainian government being formed, and uh, a lot of the communications processes were falling through the cracks. Uh, there was no one single platform that could help Ukraine to convey its message and to help the world understand what was happening in the country. Um, that's why a number of professionals in public relations, international relations, uh, journalists, marketing, got together as teams and as professionals to set up Ukraine Crisis Media Center to help this task. Mm -hmm. Now, why did you feel you needed to do this? Because surely um, the, the media is there, they're reporting on the conflict. Did, were you finding that the right information wasn't getting through? We were analyzing the information space, both globally and uh, the Russian media, during the time of the Revolution of Dignity. And we saw that uh, there is um, a lot of uh, propaganda on behalf of the uh, Russian Federation and Russian media trying to portray um, events in the Maidan and the Euromaidan in a um, not honest and truthful way. And uh, we felt that Ukraine deserved to have a chance to tell its own story to the world. Um, to give you an example, um, the Russian media were saying that Maidan was set up by extremist groups, um, that there was um, anti-Semitism in Ukraine, uh, that there were things that were not actually happening in the country. Uh, in Maidan, people spoke very different languages, belonged to very different religion, religious confessions, um, were of different ethnicities. Uh, but they all fought for the uh, European values of dignity and freedom. And uh, we wanted to help tell this story to the world. Did that um, surprise you that the, the information that was being reported was not as accurate as you would have liked it to be, um, particularly in terms of the Western media? Our understanding was that Western media simply did not know Ukraine too well. Um, I would say that um, the brand awareness of Ukraine in the world was still 
pretty low before Euromaidan. Uh, it was with the revolution of dignity that um, you know key TV hosts and uh, key uh, outlets like CNN and BBC began truly extensive coverage of the events. Um, but for them, without having very extensive um, historic, cultural, and other background on Ukraine and uh, Ukraine-Russian relations, it was difficult sometimes to grab, grasp the story in a, in a correct way. Um, so it was a learning for um, not just uh, um, us, but them as well. And towards the end of the revolution, it was extremely important seeing how much stronger Russian propaganda is getting and how many more um, hatred messages it is seeding in international media um, to help Ukraine voice its own its own concerns. Mm. And how successful do you think you've been in in the in the months um, since this initiative started in um, putting forward the the Ukrainian point of view and in bringing some balance to the coverage? Well, I believe um, a lot of the things have been achieved. Um, even recently, when you start seeing, um, you know, BBC and CNN and others doing their own investigative stories and analyzing uh, the fakes that are very often being portrayed in the Russian media, um, this is something that was not happening a year ago. A year ago, it was UCMC who was often spotting um, stories in the Russian media that were being reprinted in, their in the international media and writing to the editors of the Guardian and CNN and BBC and asking them to be um, more honest in their reflection of the of the events or simply more um, inquisitive in their reflection of the events. Um, now, when you see uh, um, international outlets understanding the storage much better, there is a bit of our role. I would also say that um, MH17 probably has been a very um, you know important turning point for the international media and uh, international stakeholders in realizing that. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a it's a story that belongs to them as well and can affect them as well. And by that you mean the uh, Malaysia Airlines flight? Yes, the tragic um, the, the, the tragic um, you know story of um, MH17 flight and and so many citizens of other countries being affected by by this tra tragedy was extremely important in uh, all of a sudden uh, Ukraine conflict becoming important for you know Australia and the Netherlands and the UK and and many other countries um, and uh, of course it also produced um, um, the effect of the Russian propaganda which was seeing um, seeding all kinds of stories um, that uh, were very untruthful and very unrealistic and I think at that moment moment, a lot of the people in the West, um, I think, started seeing through this clutter of propaganda and actually figuring out that um, they need to dig in dip deeper. They need to actually send in more of their crew TV crews and more of their journalists to see the situation for themselves. Mm. And this is something that we advocated for, because when people come to Ukraine and they speak to stakeholders um, in the country and they learn more about it, they begin to understand it better. Mm. It's interesting. I, obviously, I saw you speaking um, at a CIPR event in London last week, uh, and one of the things you did was you showed some of the examples of the of the fake reports from the mm -hmm. Russian media and some of the manipulation of facts. I wondered if you could maybe just provide one or two examples of the type of thing we're talking about here, which um, you've, you've had to refute and you've had to come out and try and say, okay, this is not actually true. 
Yeah, sure. Well, this one of some of the examples where, you know, kind of we, we would call them more um, innocent in a way, um, that when, for example, there were elections in um, in Ukraine, presidential elections, where which actually took place in, in, in the first round and President Poroshenko was elected with 54% support of the population um, on the very um, day uh, of when the... Um, outcomes of the elections were supposed to be announced. Uh, the, the biggest Russian TV network was broadcasting that um, actually who won is, was uh, Dmitry Yarosh, who is associated in the minds of, of, of the Russian population and Russian media was uh, uh, the biggest uh, sort of uh, radical party's representative in Ukraine. So in that way, they were trying to convey a story that radicals came to power in Ukraine when it was entirely not true. And a very moderate and pro-European uh, politician like Proshenko uh, was the clear winner uh, in the elections. That's one more or less, um, you know, typical example, but uh, that does not involve, uh, you know, any, any too, too, too many emotions in the story. But mm. um, uh, unfortunately, Russia is using very emotional stories, for example, saying that uh, a boy, a three-year-old boy was excruciated in, uh, uh, was crucif crucified, actually, in, in the streets of one of the Ukrainian cities. And actually, they were um, showing um, uh, footage or, or, uh, or um, you know, kind of photoshopped images, uh, images of uh, of what was happening when, it, when actually there was nothing like this taking place. And but this was such an, a surreal story that actually international media were the first ones to report you know, that is not true, and uh, uh, it affected the understanding of the international community. Unfortunately. Um, Probably still a lot of people in Russia do believe uh, what was said on, on their main Russian ch TV channels. Mm. And what have you learned? I mean, you, in a way, you've been fighting an information war. What have you learned about the actual tactics in terms of how you've been able to bring this together? I mean, in, are there any specific ways um, you've found successful in terms of conveying information, in terms of how, how you, you, you've managed your data, um, those types of things? I think it's very important to, um, you know, to have a really good analysis and uh, to monitor the situation 24/7. We have uh, monitoring that it that allows us to see the information space, international and Russian media and Ukrainian media, um, um, you know, all the all all the time, social media and key TV outlets and key publications. Um, it is important to um, to provide truthful information. Um, it is important to convey it in a format that is um, that is acceptable and interesting for the stakeholders. Uh, we've used a lot of the infographics uh, to um, describe and, and bring the visual um, kind of representation of the concepts that uh, that we would be conveying to the audience. Um, and I think infographics and uh, it was very important to um, also, um, if there are important videos that are released, uh, very often we are fighting the fact that, um, you know, all of the things are taking place here, they're taking place in Ukrainian language. But for international community, it has to be transliterated. It has to be very quickly uh, being, you know, being uh, dubbed in, in, in a language in which it's important for us to convey information internationally. So this is done on a lot of bases. Um, also, we've learned that sort of 360-degree uh, communication and, and bringing 360-degree view on issue uh, is very important. So on most of the things that we have uh, conveyed, we try to involve speakers from the government, speakers from the civil society, from international organizations uh, who are providing uh, the audience uh, with their own understanding of the situation and, and uh, kind of giving information on various aspects of it. Um, I think this was very, uh, very important. Um, but also I think it's, um, 
our you know one of one of the learnings is that you you have to you know build good uh, partnerships um, and, and count on the cooperation between um, the civil society and the government and various organizations involved um, in in helping to address the challenges of, of this information war. Um, by this I mean that not only Ukrainian government as such can communicate, but also it's amplified through organizations like Ukraine Crisis Media Center and, and other organizations involved in it. And also it, it very much involves even people like uh, you know Ukrainian diaspora living in, in outside of, uh, of, of, uh, of Ukraine, but very often being very active in social media campaigns in pointing to a particular issue. So for example, Twitter storms on the release of Nadia Savchenko, who is one of Ukrainian, Ukrainian pilot, which is uh, illegally detained uh, and has been detained for a year in, in, in prison in Russia. Uh, there was a number of efforts led by Ukrainian diaspora or stakeholders actually outside of Ukraine who took this issue very close to their heart and invested their time and effort and creativity in order to bring it to the attention of the world leaders. Mm. One of the things you talked about last week, which I wanted to ask you, um, was was in terms of the uh, what you called the kind of external narrative, uh, or or how your narrative had to be structured, for internally within Ukraine and externally talking to an international audience, mm -hmm. and if we take external first, the point you made, which I thought was very interesting, was that you said in affluent societies you lose vigilance. Um, mm -hmm. So I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that and how that has shaped your message internationally. I believe we felt that um, everything that, that Ukraine has experienced in the past year um, was not just because of the fact of a particular strategy uh, selected uh, towards Ukraine by the Russian Federation, um, but because um, the, the comfort of uh, the economies and the comfort of um, um, of living in in sort of post-war um, civilized world in the West has made uh, Western societies less resilient and um, and not too vigilant to any of the potential information attacks. Um, during the Cold War, um, there were a lot of organizations who were um, um, aimed and who were um, bested in. Uh, communicating and, and continually making emphasis on importance of particular values, um, dignity, democracy, freedom. Um, it involved all kinds of, you know, radios and TV stations and educational materials and educational programs, exchange programs. Um, many of these programs have been cut since um, the Cold War ended, and uh, there was hope that uh, um, Russia would uh, move into into democratic direction and would be evolving as a as a country aspiring uh, to be part of G8 and and uh, um, part of the civilized world. Um, and in a way, um, the results of last year uh, proved to us that uh, the fact that corruptly has such an influence in. Germany, that RT um, has such an influence in the Western society that it can actually challenge the narrative of the local communities, um, tells us that, um, in fact, it's very easy sometimes to influence a particular information space. And uh, if information is used as a weapon, uh, there are societies that are not capable of um, 
addressing this challenge. Mm. And uh, to us, this revelation came through a big sacrifice of people who had to, you know, die on the streets of Kiev to defend very simple values, the values of dignity and freedom and wanting to be an independent democratic country. Um, and, you know, Ukrainians still today believe that, you know, the sacrifice that currently Ukrainian warriors are making in the east of Ukraine is not just to defend Ukraine, but is to defend um, the frontiers of, of the civilization that values individual over state and values individual dignity over, you know, say, state interests, so to say. Mm, right. And and how has um, how does that differ as it does from the kind of internal message that you're trying to communicate um, you mentioned, you know, consolidating the nation around its future, for example. I believe that um, if um, if uh, externally, um, you know, the, the, the key narrative is to make an emphasis on this point of view and this intuitive uh, um, knowledge that, that is valuable from Ukrainians to the world, I think internally, um, yes, we are very much focused on making sure that regardless of the war, of this, you know, unnecessary and un unwanted by Ukrainians war, um, Ukrainians are able to... Um, uh, resisted uh, through reforms, uh, through necessary changes in Ukraine's economy and, and as, as a country, and being consolidated around the idea of, uh, you know, new Ukraine and its European future. Um, so all of the programs that we had a chance to be part of um, and all of the communications uh, campaigns that we would be involved in, they're ultimately connected to this. Um, as I mentioned, a very important dates for Ukraine were the 8th and 9th of May, um, which um, usually were, you know, commemorated uh, only on the May 9th as the Victory Day. Um, and um, to many people, it was a holiday that was dividing people into thinking about, um, you know, it's the past of the country. Uh, this year, for the first time, Ukraine actually commemorated the 8th of May on the official level, thus joining a number of European nations who think about World War II as the war um, that was um, that brought so many losses um, and and losses to Ukraine in, in particularly, and um, and and made it part of a bigger European family rather than um, you know kind of Soviet um, Soviet Empire and and and, and Soviet uh, Union that looked at, uh, at the war only from the standpoint that it was only its own victory and not anybody else's, and that none of the other nations' uh, contributions in it were properly reflected in, in the evaluation of it. Mm. And much more so, I think, it's orientation towards the future, uh, because, um, you know, people can have different versions of the history, but when you think they think about the future of their children, ultimately they get united. Uh, so I think we have now many more people in Ukraine who are focused on the future. So this is almost a form of nation building. Excuse me? This is almost um, a form of nation building. Well, in a way it is. And I think um, it's not... It, you know, it's, it's the efforts that are continuing from the revolution of dignity. Mm. It's the formation of new identity of, of Ukrainians that that um, have grown have grown up to an extent and have started noticing things that are really really important. Um, I believe that uh, Ukrainians are um, after revolution are sort of unique in a way uh, of, of, for example, bringing this volunteer spirit that in many ways is helping to address various um, challenges of Ukraine's current economy and the state. Um, we have volunteers who are basically funding the army, 
when the state could not do so in the beginning. We have volunteers who are helping the IDPs, um, the internally displaced people, and now we have almost a million and a half of IDPs, completely new notion in, in Ukraine. Um, and the connections, kind of horizontal connections in the society, they're much, much, much stronger than they've ever been. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um just a couple more questions I wanted to ask you. The, the first of all, obviously, um, you're, you're working on the um, Ukraine Crisis Media Center, and I, I suspect that has taken up a huge amount of your time over the past year and more. Um, but of course, you do also head PRP, which is a well-established PR firm in Moscow and indeed is considered one of the country's uh, top PR firms. Has your work with the, the Crisis Media Center had any impact on your business in Moscow? Um, no, not at all. Um, we, um, as I mentioned when we spoke before, um, the, the, the calling to start Ukraine Crisis Media Center um, was a calling from myself and, and you know a lot of my team members who um, volunteered initially our time to start this together with colleagues from other agencies or just uh, independent experts. Um, and for us at the time, um, we looked at it more as a you know corporate social responsibility of the Ukrainian office, if, if, if you if you if you want, because it was um, our ability to apply our talent and knowledge uh, to support the country in which we operate. And um, I think this is um, extremely important. Um, and as I've mentioned, we uh, you know the offices have very different um, different identities. Mm. Um, so um, it's it's the work that is. Um, uh, revered and um, you know is very inspiring for a lot of um, my team members who before just like myself were mostly involved in the in the commercial sector work. Mm. And finally, um, if another question actually that I asked you last week, but for the benefit of our listeners, if you could maybe talk through um, the funding behind the Ukraine Crisis Media Center and whether you've actually found it difficult to to raise money. Um. Originally, it started as a volunteer effort, um, and we were naive in thinking that uh, the UCMC could maybe uh, be a platform that could be temporary um, for months or months and a half. Um, but as the uh, conflict was growing, and after Crimea, Crimea, there there came uh, problems in the east and the aggression of the Russian army in the east. Um, actually, it was donors who approached us and uh, said that you should sustain, you should develop an NGO on the basis of which you could still provide these services uh, as a communications hub, as a communications platform for various projects and initiatives. Um, and we were funded by the Renaissance Foundation, um, by supporters from uh, Matra, from some of the Ukrainian diaspora organizations, so mostly international funding um, that, uh, that helped uh, to sustain and develop uh, Ukraine crisis media center activities up until today. Okay, thank you. Well, I think um, your efforts were recognized with a Sabre Award, if I'm not mistaken, last week. Yes, that's right. You have a Yes, so well done. And of course, more importantly, best of luck with your ongoing efforts um, to, uh, to, to, to bring a more accurate picture to, to the world of, of, of the ongoing conflict. Thank you. And, thank and you thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. Thanks to Marketeers. 4DC for producing today's show. We'll be back in a couple of weeks.